Well, we've been talking about generosity the last few weeks, and we're through with that particular series, but I'm going to kind of come off of that and go off of that, I should say, and challenge us with the, what this slide calls a generosity revolution. Generosity in our culture today is not something that's talked about much, and quite frankly, most of us, when we hear it from the pulpit or TV ministries, we're sick and tired of what they have to say, because I believe what they're doing is too, oftentimes is twisting scripture, manipulating you and me. It's about generosity, a generous heart, a revolution. And that slide, I like that slide, the way you see the letters in red, L-O-V-E, love. You know, our generosity comes out of a relationship with Christ and understanding what he laid down his life for, how generous he was in giving himself for us that we might have life. And that needs to be the underlying motive in our life. So even though we've been talking about generosity, I haven't talked a lot about giving to a church. But today, uh, don't turn your ears off. Don't turn your hearing aids down, those of you that are my age and older. But I'm going to talk about financial giving to the church. And I hope I'm going to talk about it in a way that resonates with you. Because really, again, what I'm talking about is heart issues, attitude issues. You know, I've shared this before, but I want to share it again because some of these things are just difficult to change out there in the world or in our community. Um, You know, it's like when you have a reputation, boy, it's hard to change your reputation. Well, when there's rumors or stories, boy, it's hard to change the rumors or stories. We're not called to defend ourselves. Christ is our defense. But one of the things that I remember hearing, and, and one of these things, I know Nick is one of the ones that shared this with me, that, oh, you go to that rich church, meaning Victory Christian Church. That rich church. Well, I know what they mean by that. Nick was also challenged. He says, you're going to go to that church? They require you to give 20% to become a member of that church. I want to straighten that out. Right now, we require way more. We ask no less than what the Lord asks, all of you. I don't, we don't really care about your money in that sense. But God wants us totally committed and totally involved. So, you know, I know they don't mean that, but that's what we mean when we talk about commitment and generosity. It goes beyond your finances. It goes into your life, what you do on a daily basis, what your interests are, what your talents are, what your gifts are, what you're doing with all that God has blessed you with in the natural, in the emotional, in the spiritual, the financial, practical, all of those things. But today I'm going to back up a little bit and try to look at this and give you a little background. And and for visitors that may or may not ever be here again, some of this may bore you, but indulge me for a few minutes. When they talk about us being the rich church, my first thought was, where did they get that from? They haven't sat in on a financial meeting, that's for sure. But I think, you know, well, they look at the building. We built a building, pretty nice building. Um, You know, it's interesting, we put up a sign, a lot of people thought, wow, kind of went overboard. You know, we actually worked and talked to people in the community, the economic development uh, uh, people in the community, telling them, hey, you guys don't need to put up a sign, they were going to spend a bunch of money. We said, no, we're going to do it. And any announcements that we can do for the community, let us know, we'll put them on our sign. But you know, you look at those things, and I guess they can jump to conclusions about wealth, but... I want to give you a little history. You know, this church, this body of believers here, started out of a little Bible study. Well, actually, the first Bible study or two were a little bit bigger. Then it shrunk when they discovered they were going to study the Bible (laughs) and take it seriously. And then it grew a little bit, and it started meeting, and eventually the group met, and Pam and Evan, they remodeled their basement. Pam and Evan, where are they sitting? Are they hiding from me? They're back in the back. You know, they remodeled their basement so we could meet, they could meet in their basement. I still at that time wasn't meeting with them because I thought they were nuts. I thought they went over the edge. Most of them were my friends and they were giving up all my bad habits. I couldn't understand what they were thinking. Well, then the Lord got a hold of me and I started going to their meetings. And when they got a little bit bigger, they went over to a church on the hill. And a lot of that doesn't mean anything to a lot of you anymore. But there was a little church over in Lynn that was birthed out of the Jesus movement. And it, it had, they'd quit meeting there, quit attending, and, and they went over there and met for a little while. And then it, it got a little bit bigger and a little bit larger, and boy, we really stepped out in faith, and they, they built or bought this old building downtown. 
If you drive through town, it's one block off of Main Street. The Historical Society now owns it. This beautiful blue building. We painted it that color. I don't know what we were thinking. I do too. The paint was free. <laughs> For a rich church, we were pretty cheap. It was an old, old implement dealership building. And then it had been, in recent years, a, a plumber's warehouse. And when they finally got all the junk out of it, it was a mess. The floor was busted. It was a mess. And I remember a few of the leaders had to actually go co-sign a loan at the bank. We were so rich as a church. Had to pledge their names on that as collateral. And the church grew, and we were blessed. We've had a full-time pastor almost since year one in that building. Um, people would wonder, how can you guys pay a full-time pastor? There's nobody goes to, we weren't, evidently we weren't the rich church yet. And they were wondering how we could possibly do that. And then after 20 years in that old building and really feeling the Lord speaking to the leadership that it was time to build a building, we started saving and the congregation started saving and, and giving towards this project. And we had felt as a leadership that the Lord spoke to our hearts that we needed to have $250,000 in hand before we'd start this building. And for a little church, that's a bunch of money. And lo and behold, it came in. And we built this building. And this building, believe it or not, cost us around $600,000, including the land. And for us, again, that was a step of faith. But God was in this thing from the beginning because when we tried to insure this to make the lenders happy, they wouldn't insure it at replacement costs for less than $1.2 million because there was no way they thought we could ever have built this building. I mean, it didn't matter that we'd paid the bills and had the notes. They said, no way. Well, there was a way. We built it for half of that. God was so faithful. He was in it. He was honoring uh, us as we stepped out in obedience and the people, the congregation, you, that were part of that, opened up your generosity and gave towards that. In five years, this building was paid for, free and clear. And it still is paid for, free and clear. So it was a truly... Uh, really God's hand on everything because every dime came out of the generosity of the people that were attending the building and attending the church because they had grabbed a hold of the vision that God had given the church. And we believed. And I got to tell you, I've told many of you this before, I was probably the, the one dragging their feet more than all the other leadership. You know, until somebody grabbed a hold of me, a prophet up in the Twin Cities, and said, Mike, I don't want to say... You don't have faith, but you ain't believing. I'm glad you didn't tell me I don't have any faith. But God stirred an urgency, and things began to happen. And of December of 2005, we moved into this building. And it's been a tremendous blessing. Ministries have expanded. It's amazing how God has used it. And over the years, we have stepped out. You know, for us, and I say this, in all humility to us, this church is rich. It's rich in the spirit. It's rich in love. It's rich in freedom. It's rich in grace. It's rich in the things that God cares about. Financially, every month, we're walking a tightrope. And I want to be really transparent today because most of us, I, this is kind of the standard line I share with our elders. I said they either had the people have an awful lot of confidence in this leadership team or they just don't care about the finances of the church because no one ever asks us. You know, everything we have is open and available to anybody. But I want to take the step and initiate some of that. And I just want you to know that as part of our stewardship of all that God blesses us with as a church, I want to be really transparent with everybody. I'm not going to bore you with all kinds of numbers, but I want to let you know that you can get any of the numbers you want anytime you want. All you have to do is ask our office manager, Cindy, or, or ask me. We'll get him, get him in your hands. But what I want to share with you is kind of the four big areas where most of the finances go in this church. The order might be a little different from church to church, and the ones I have actually aren't in the order of our spending. But I want you to understand, we, we look at, and by faith, we build our budget as a leadership team, and we build into it an increase, believing that the Lord is calling us to do more and more things. 
you know, when we decided that the Lord was really leading us to add another full-time staff person to, to help direct our ministries, organize things, you know, we, it was a step of faith. You know, we, we, the Lord led us to Casey. What a blessing it's been. And it's also been a step of faith. And we, we, God provides. But the four biggest areas of expense in this church, number one is staff and staff expenses. And when I say that, I'm talking about salaries and health insurance, Social Security, just kind of the basics. And there's a couple scriptures I just want to share with you. The first one's in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. Actually, verse 18 says, For the scripture says, Do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain. And the worker deserves his wages. And 1 Corinthians 9, 13, and 14, in verse 14 it says, The Lord has commanded those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. We believe that. We believe that as a church we are to pay our staff. I know it sounds self-serving because I'm on the staff. But when, when it comes time to set uh, my salary, or at the time Bob's salary, uh, the elders have us leave the room. Not because there's anything secretive, but we all felt more comfortable doing that. You know, so it, it's not determined by me or by Bob or by Casey or by Cindy Barnes. The leadership prays and, and gives us a number. And they're generous. And we've been blessed through the giving. But it is the primary expense. Uh, if you believe the books, most books say it should be somewhere between 50 and if you get up to 60% of the budget, you're getting a little bit on, on shakier ground. Right now, we're at about 54% of our budget goes to staff and staff expenses. And it all comes out of your generosity. The second largest expense is the actual ministry space, the building, the property, the land, the parking lot. So when I look at that ministry space, you know, there's maintenance, there's repairs. You know, most of the time, most of us don't have any idea what gets fixed or what's getting done around here. You don't really pay much attention when we need to redo the parking lot. You know, hopefully you notice the, 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 the property looks pretty neat. It's mowed, it's kept up, weeds are sprayed. All that stuff happens because of the generosity of the body of Christ. So, you know, it, insurances, um, utilities, lawn, uh, everything comes under this heading of the space, building and grounds. And it takes about 20% of our budget to do all of that. Um, when I talk about ministry space, you know, even, even when we expand, uh, I'm not sure, I think I've mentioned this before, but the church bought this lot behind us here. Have I mentioned this before? Some of you are, okay, good. You know, we felt the Lord really leading us. You know what, if we're going to add on to this building someday, if the congregation continues to grow, we need more parking. Of all the things you've got to worry about, more parking. So we fear we need to buy a lot that has access to the highway, because to put in a highway access, first of all, you can't get one from the state. We've tried, and if you could, it was going to cost 60 grand. We didn't need that. So we bought a lot for $5,000. When we bought this property the church sits on, we bought this whole piece of property. It's just under six acres for, uh, for $20,000. They sell individual lots out here for almost thirty to thirty-five. God blesses this. Why? Because it's his plan. He has a plan. Ministry expense. Basically, when I say ministry expense, think of all the million little things that are brought to do, bought that we have to purchase to do ministry. Things that most of us don't give a second thought to. Paper products. Isn't it nice if you're in the bathroom and there's paper towels and toilet paper? <laughs> Sweet. But also all the other paper, the copier equipment, all of the ink. You, you know, one cartridge for a color copier is 250 bucks. Isn't that amazing? All these things add up every month. The copiers, the equipment, the supplies in the kitchen, cleaning supplies, food, beverages, books, curriculum materials, sound equipment, lighting equipment, website, computers, software, on and on and on. All has to come out of the generosity of the congregation. And our bills are being paid because you're a generous people. I believe it's because we know and believe that God has called us to do ministry in southwest Minnesota that this building and everything about it is nothing more than a tool that he's giving us to expand the kingdom. We are not hung up on looking good. You know, we want to look good because we represent the king of kings. And in our culture, building property has a role to play. But it's all a blessing from him 
to be used for his glory. And the fourth area, that area is 10%, all those ministry expenses, 10%. And then missions, and I put TrueBridge support in missions. For us as a church, we, we give 16% of all that comes in to missions, mission-related things. And that is not including a whole lot of money that goes to special missions and mission trips that comes out of the body of Christ here and out of our general fund at times to do this. When I talk about missions, we have monthly support. We have chosen to support monthly ministries, House of Hope and Marshall for young ladies that have kind of lost their way. We support the Marshall Area Christian School as a ministry to reach out, and that school has approximately 13 churches represented in the school, I believe. Um, and quite frankly, I've been, we get letters of thank you. Not very many churches support the school on a regular basis. We feel that's an important thing that we do. Wycliffe, Wycliffe, however you'd like to pronounce it. The Bible translators, there's a family just outside of town on Conway Road 5, the Kuali family, who are a support team for the, the people that are out in the field all over the world translating the Bible. We support them on a monthly basis. We support Touch of the Master's Hand Ministry. A lot of you probably don't even know what it is, right? That's Arnie's ministry on the radio. Touch of the Master's Hand. He has been on the radio for a number of years, reaching a people in a generation that most of us don't really reach with a message they need to hear of hope based on truth. We, we support the Alpha Center in Sioux Falls that's on the front lines in the pro-life ministry, fighting for the unborn children educating in schools and public places. We support Ben Goodman. Many of you, most of you know Ben. He has a prophetic ministry. He, he travels all over the world. You know, it's exciting to me when Ben Goodman goes, like he's, he's either there or just got back or just leaving. I lost track of him. He's going over to China to minister to the underground church in China. And when he goes to minister to the underground church in China, you are part of what he's doing in China. That's exciting to me, that we are able to plant seeds in China, knowing that the Chinese believe they're going to they're go and lead a revival into the Middle East. It's amazing the things that we can be a part of because of generosity of the people in this church. I'm not through the list yet. Casa Hogar and Fran and Carol Marin, I mentioned them both. We support them both. Casa Hogar is the ministry to children, the children's home down in Oaxaca, Oaxaca, Mexico. And Carol and Fran have been the director. Carol's been the director for many years before she was married, and her and her husband are the director. We support that ministry. Paul and Elaine Swift were down there for five years. We supported Susie Faulkner from Marshall when she was down there for an extended period of time, I believe three years, something like that. Um, Carol and Fran, we support them as a family down there as they minister and run Casa Hogar. We also support New Mercy Ministries. New Mercy Ministries uh, out of the Twin Cities, but most of their ministry right now is in Rwanda, where one of our teams just went not too long ago. And then we serve TrueBridge. TrueBridge is a fellowship of churches that we are a part of. And the reason I go, we put it in with, I put it in with our missions, even though it's a separate line on our budget for what that's worth, is because they are out there. We are a part of church plants. We are a part of being able to allow Jim McCracken to go into churches and minister where there's, where there's issues, where there's problems. When you, if you think of, think of the Apostle Paul, and I'm not trying to make the comparison, but you can tell Jim I called him the Apostle Paul if you'd like. You know, the Apostle Paul was continually nurturing, exhorting, uh, correcting, rebuking, watching doctrine, ministering to the elders, the leaders of churches. That's what Jim does. And we, by supporting TrueBridge not only get the benefit of his wisdom when he comes here and helps us, but we're supporting that as he goes to other churches. And right now there's three church plants in process. You are a part of every one of those church plants because of the support that we give to TrueBridge. It's exciting. We can do way more when we are part of a larger Christian community. And it's amazing to me. Um, I could spend a lot of time on short-term mission trips, but in just in the past year, we sent a team to Colombia, South America. We sent a team to Thailand, Asia. We sent a team to Rwanda, Africa. We've got Peter and Tanya preparing to leave in just about a week or 10 days to Russia. 
And then we have Dylan, a young lady in the church who's going to spend three, three, about three months in a missions training school and then going to go on a two, three, two to three month mission. Did I say? Said Dylan. Dylan. <laughs> he wishes. <laughs> Jaron. <laughs> not the young lady, though. You didn't like that part, I bet. <laughs> Think about that. You know, I remember the first time I heard a prophetic guy speak over us as a church and says, you guys are going to impact the nations. I'm thinking, yeah, right, we live in Ballathan. Look out the window. <laughs> we aren't the rich church. Look what God has done just in the last 12 months. And look what he does every month through the ministries that you support. Through it. We give 16%. And that's just on the monthly missions we support. So far this year, we've already given over $28,000 away to other missions and other ministries. And if we would add in all of the other dollars for all of the short-term missions and things like that, the number grows considerably. And all of that at the same time, I could stand here and say, you know what, every month our budget is very tight. We've had a number of months in the last year where it's in the red where we've gone backwards. But God's faithful. So some people would say in a worldly sense, wait a minute, now Mike, you just said the budget's tight. Some months you're in the the black or the red. Whichever one's bad. (laughs) In the red. Why would you give away so doggone much money? Just think what you could do with that $28,000 right here. Man, we we could remodel again. Well, it's because we believe as a church and the leaders in this church and we believe the leaders reflect the heart of the people in this church in what we've been talking about for the last four weeks, a cycle of victorious giving. When we look at this cycle of victorious giving, we need to remember the first thing is we trust God that it's all His. It's all His. Everything. And we trust Him that as we trust Him, He will give life to the church. All the things that I talked about us individually work corporately we trust him it's his stuff you know we don't give to other ministries we give to the lord through these other ministries that needs to be our mindset it's god's money we want to be the best stewards of it we can we want to we want to seek him seek his direction decisions we take our accountability to the body of christ here very seriously as the leadership of where our money goes you know every year we reevaluate where is it going to go who are we going to support We know these ministries. We know their character. We know the people involved with them individually. Doesn't mean we we couldn't make a mistake, but we do everything we know. And then when we give it to God, that's his problem. We've done all we know to do. It's his money. I'm not going to worry about it. We're not going to get stupid, but it's his. It's his job. So we trust him. And we trust him as we give that he's going to continue to meet the needs of this church. It's just how it works in his economy. We've committed to a minimum of 10% monthly to our missions and 6% monthly to Truebridge Church. We have committed. We believe as we commit to him, we grow in faith. Every time we set the budget, it's like, really, we're going to do this again? Truebridge encourages its churches to, to pray about giving 3%. We thought, that's ridiculous. That's not enough. We want to be a bigger part of that. We want to receive greater spiritual rewards than that. So we started and we purposed in our hearts every year we evaluate, can we raise the percentage? And we love percentages because as as income comes in and it's based on a percentage, the check we write gets bigger and bigger. We love that. We want to be generous and we commit to do this every year. If we have another building project, I guarantee you this, our missions giving will not go down, ever. If the money's there, we are committed. We want it to grow. We want to give more. Third part of that cycle, it was about a delight. I tell you, it is a delight to give, and I don't do a good enough job of sharing with you the things that bring delight to my heart when we get these reports sometime of what your generosity is doing around the world. Every time we get a report from these ministries, these missionaries, every time we get a report of what takes place in youth group and the Victory for Kids classes, you know, we got little kids that are not only getting saved, they're asking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues and going home and asking mom and dad, what's this all about? And they're going, oh my gosh, I got to catch up. Praise God. 
I need to share these. It's a delight to hear what we hear about the effectiveness of the ministry that generosity is accomplishing. It's a delight to give. And the fourth part of that cycle, if you recall, was we are trusting in God for the rewards. We don't give all this money because we want the reward, but we give it knowing we will get one because God promises to. You know, a lot of the rewards are not financial. They're spiritual. You know what? What if our giving as a church, our generosity as a church, and what we give away has an impact on the unity in this body? What if it has an impact on the love that flows through this church? What if what? I believe it does. I believe our spiritual rewards, our financial provisional rewards, I believe it's all part of the rewards. God promises in His Word that He will honor and bless generous people. Isn't that amazing? The more we can reach out and give, He will bless. Generosity is just a huge thing in God's kingdom and in His plan. So I said the title was something about giving money to the church. Two questions. How much should we give and why to the church? Well, I'm going to share by first reviewing two scriptures that we went over in the last few weeks. In 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 5. And I really encouraged you before to read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. It's great scriptures on generosity. Now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian church. Just put the Balaton church, the Victory Christian church, just put it in there. And he says, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Boy, that doesn't make sense to the natural mind, does it? Out of their extreme poverty rose up rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. And the second scripture in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7, remember this, whosoever spares sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Then listen to this, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion. You know, if, if you feel like anything I ever do or anything any of the leadership ever does or says to you is putting you under compulsion or condemnation about giving, straighten us out. Challenge us in that area. It's not biblical. This is how we're supposed to give. You are not to give because I'm putting the pressure on you, telling you to do this so you can get this. That's a bunch of garbage. It's not biblical. Biblical is without compulsion. Generously. So two key points in those scriptures. One, trust God. It's all His. Whenever you give, you're giving to God. Do as you purpose in your heart. You know, in, in, uh, in that first scripture, it says rich generosity. It's kind of a Hebraism where it means abundant liberality. In other words, give. Wouldn't it be nice? If the question in our mind when it came to giving was not how little can I give to get by, but how much can I give? How much can I give? And do as you purpose in your heart. Do as you purpose in your heart. We need to pray about it. We need to know, Lord, what would you have me to give? You know, when we give... And I hope you've got this from the last weeks, but you know, God's not near as concerned about how much we give as He is about how we give. And there's a scripture I want to read, and it's just a short story in a couple, more than one of the Gospels, actually. But Mark, I'm going to read it. It's about the widow. You might have, your Bible might say the widow's might. In Mark chapter 12, verse 41, it says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where offerings were put. And watch the crowd putting their money in the temple treasury. That's an interesting picture for me right there. He's watching them put their money in the treasury. And as we see when we read the rest of it, he's not just watching the physical act, he's watching 
He is searching their hearts as they're giving. And then it says, Many rich people came and they threw in large amounts of money, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling to his disciples, he said to him, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all that she had to live on. Now we could develop a lot of things out of that, but I'm just going to make three quick points. One, again, God values our offerings differently than we have a tendency to look at them humanly. God was not impressed by the quantity. When he was watching, it's clear to me, he wasn't watching how much they put in, he was watching their heart. He was looking at their heart, their attitude. And I believe he still does today. As this widow came and gave sacrificially of what she had. Our attitude, the second point, is what's important to God. He sees the heart. Every time we give up our time, our talent, our finances, whatever, He's looking at our heart. And if we're doing it to honor Him as if unto the Lord, that's what counts. All those good deeds we do to make us feel better or look better, He's not impressed with. You know, write the biggest check, he doesn't care unless your heart's attitude is right. And thirdly, and I want to say this carefully and understand what I'm saying, because if you misinterpret this, you can get yourself in trouble. But when I look at this scripture, one of the things that catches my attention, she was giving to the temple, and the temple was being managed by a bunch of corrupt religious leaders. But God doesn't rebuke her for giving to those corrupt religious leaders. So what I'm saying is this. We sometimes use that as an excuse not to give generously. Well, I don't like what they're doing with my money. I don't know what they're doing with my money. I know they did this once, and boy, was that a bad idea. No. But at the same time, hear this. We are to be good stewards. We should be able to know and research as best we can. If you don't have confidence in this church, don't give a dime to this church. If you don't believe that we're being good stewards of what God gives us, challenge us, correct us. But don't use it as an excuse. God's telling us to be a generous people. Do your homework, but once you give it, and that's why I say, find a church you trust. Find a church that is doing what you think they need to be doing to bring glory to God and advance the kingdom. You know, we're not into building bigger buildings just to have bigger buildings. We want to do what God calls us to do. And that should be your heart. So I want to get real practical. Real practical. Hopefully, none of you have stones in your pockets to throw. But I want to get real practical. You'll notice so far I haven't talked about the tie. The Bible talks about the tithe, it talks about offerings, it talks about alms. A tithe, the word itself, simply means 10%. Now, personally, I believe, we believe as a church, that 10% principle is a principle that we should try to strive for, kind of as a baseline, and go on from there. But it's not the law. It's not the law. If you don't want a tithe, that's between you and the Lord. I want us to be generous givers. And I want to give us some very practical things. First of all, give responsibly. Now, I'm contradicting some things I have said over the years with what I'm going to say now. I want you to hear that up front. Because you might say, gee, that's not what Mike told me once upon a time. I believe we should give responsibly. Christians are to give according to their ability, according to Acts 11, verse 29. And I believe responsible giving means, you know what? God has given you a family that you're to minister to and to take care of. If you have bad debts and you owe people money, you need to take care of that. You need to be responsible in your giving. That doesn't mean your generosity towards God and His church disappears. But quite honestly, there are times when 10% is too much. I hope that's never taped and broadcast anywhere. 
I don't want you giving to the church at the cost of your responsibilities and you being a bad witness in the community. What good does it do for you to go about proclaiming to be a Christian and you're not paying your bills and you're not paying your debt even though you're giving to the church? There's just something wrong with that. That's not what God wants. We're to give according to our ability and I believe responsibly. Give proportionately. I think this is an important concept and I think this is where the tithe concept really comes into play. We are to give out of what we have, not out of what we do not have. That's what the Bible tells us. The more we have, the more we give. The less we have, the less we give. And I believe that's part of the beauty of the tithing principle. If I make $1,000 a week, I would give if I tithed $100. If I make $5,000 a week, if I tithe, I'd give $500. We gave the same, proportionately. And I believe this is the principle that God had in mind even when it took place throughout the Old Testament before the law came into place, during the time of the law. And I believe it's the principle that works still today in his church. That we should give proportionately. You know, if people get really hung up about the tithe, let me share something with you that they may not know. In the Old Testament under the law, there was three different tithes. One was 10% a year, one was 10% a year, and one was 10% split over three years. What's that add up to every year? 23%. If we're going to get legalistic about it, you should be tithing 23% if we want to do what they did under the law. I don't think for some of you that's enough. So I hope you don't stop there. But for some of you, that is not responsible. We need to know what we should give as we seek the Lord and give joyfully, cheerfully. You know, <clears throat> I believe the principle of tithing is critical. It's important. If you've come to me for financial counsel, one of the things you'll hear me ask you is, are you giving to the kingdom? And how are you doing it? Because I believe it's a picture of our heart. And the Bible is crystal clear. Where our treasure is, that's where our heart will be also, right? And when God was looking at the widow and all the others giving, what was he looking at? Their heart. So if we're not giving, and we're so bound up because of bad choices we've made or a heart that's greedy or materialistic, um, you're going to hear from me right away say, you need to deal with some generosity issues in your life. God will bless you. His word is full of those promises. He will bless you. So I believe the tithing principle does release blessing. It's one of the reasons we as a church tithe. I've shared this before, but some of you wouldn't have heard it because you've not, not been around as long. There was a time when we as a church did not tithe. Our board did not tithe. And at that time, Ken Lundin was our pastor, and there were weeks we couldn't pay our pastor. One meeting we said, there's something wrong with this. We are teaching our congregation the principle of tithing, and we as a church aren't tithing. Let's start tithing. And from that day till this day, we have never, ever been short. 26, 5, 4 years later, whatever it is, I don't even know. The principle works. God blesses it. Three, give sacrificially. But don't leave out responsibly. By sacrificially, what do I mean? The Macedonian church had said they gave sacrificially. When we give sacrificially, what do I think it means? I mean, we need to give so it affects our lifestyle. Now, quite frankly, can you imagine... Can you imagine? <clears throat> I'm going to just throw out these numbers and stone me if you want. Since January 1st, we've averaged 165 people here on a Sunday. Lately, we've been almost at 200. Since January 1st up till the end of September, the average uh, giving on a weekly basis is $30 a person. That's pretty good compared to most churches. But let me challenge you. What could we do as a ministry if everybody tithed? It'd be phenomenal. And I believe that's why God has that principle. 
give sacrificially. What would you have to do to change your lifestyle that would free up some dollars? It doesn't take much. I remember when I first got saved and some people that I was close with said, you're not really tithing, are you? And I said, well, yeah. How can you afford to tithe? And I said, well, let me ask you a question. How many packs of cigarettes you smoke a day and what do they cost? You go into the bar every Friday night and Saturday night. How much does that cost? I don't do either of those. Think how much I can tithe. Now, I'm sure none of us are smoking and drinking. But, <laughs> not a single amen. amen. There you go. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But seriously, what do we do? How many times a week do we go out for supper? Maybe giving up one of those would be a good deal. How many cups of coffee do we buy for... Well, let's see. I better be careful there. I'm sorry, Kelly. She's just going like this out there. How many cups of coffee do we buy a week that cost four or five bucks? How's that? There you go. What would it take if we just gave up one or two of those a week? You know, a sacrificial giving doesn't mean that there's not a dime to pay your bills and you can't put food on the table for your children. That's not what that means. It's just trusting God. Give regularly. Give regularly. And I'm not saying that from the church's perspective, although it does help us in budgeting. But it helps us to develop an attitude and a habit of generosity. You know, a lot of people say, well, we just give spontaneously and we write a check for what we feel led to do. That's great. Keep it up. But add to that regular giving. Regular giving. I mean, <laughs> God, a thought came to my mind I just can't share. But, <laughs> but there was this church once that gave something once that cost quite a bit of money, and for the next 30 years, every time they talked about money, they said, remember when we gave blank the blank? We're good to go. Anybody remember what that is? <laughs> it's ridiculous. We forget how long ago it is we did something. Regularly helps us to develop an attitude. You know, Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthian church, he said this, on the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Notice, each week, set it aside and in keeping with your income. God, great principles there to the Corinthian church. Number five, evaluate your own heart with regard to money. Do a heart check. Man, we need to do this regularly because it is a good check on us to see where we're at. I mean, I can find myself slipping over here real quickly into materialism, greed, and envy, and jealousy. You need a heart check occasionally to stay on track. Ask yourself, what am I doing? What percent of my money goes to things like God's causes, the church, other ministries, helping the poor? How much, what percentage? Is it close to 10% of your income? How are you doing in investing in eternal rewards? Eternal rewards. Heart check's always a good thing. Number six, are you giving of your time and your talents to the work of the kingdom of God? I'm focusing on money today, finances today, but that's just part of the package. You know, God gives gifts to his children, not so you can hoard them and keep them locked up, but for the building up of the body of Christ. Are you using your gifts? Are you using your talents? Are you using your time? to build the kingdom of God in the church, but also outside of the church. Generosity goes way beyond our wallet, way beyond. How do you establish a regular giving pattern? I would ask you and encourage you this way. Sit down. If you're married, sit down with your spouse. Maybe it's a good time to help start training and educating your kids. Get them involved in a meeting and decide what are we going to purpose in our hearts to try and give this next year. What percentage of our income can we give? Our budget this year as a church is roughly on track to be about $250,000. That's not including the special money. That's based on tithe. We put our budget together based on tithe income. There will be more money comes in for special needs and alms and things like that. And when you think about it, that's not a lot of money for all the things that you guys are helping to do here and around the world. 250000 So what percentage should you give as a family? Set a goal for yourselves. 
Um, ask yourself a couple questions. Is it a sacrificial amount? In other words, is it, going to, is it something that the Lord can look at us and say, you know what, they're serious about giving to the kingdom? And is it a responsible amount? And maybe it's just me, but to me this is a big deal. Sacrificially but responsibly. We have commitments that we have to make to people that sometimes, I believe, have a higher priority in God's mind than what you're giving to the church. I've talked about that already, so I won't go there anymore. And then set aside that portion, whatever you agree on. You know, we could do a whole teaching on first fruits. And what that simply means on the first, the best part. How many of us give, don't raise your hands, (laughs) how many of us give out of the leftovers at the end of the month? Here, God, there's $28.13 left. You can have $3.18. I'm going to need that $25. I know it. Give it first. You know, how many of you know you are already more than tithing to an entity? It's called the government. Only they call it a tax. It comes right out of your check. First thing. Smart principle. Matter of fact, most of us even forget we're doing it and don't even really know how, how much we're giving. And our Uncle Sam likes that. We need to, out of the first fruits, first part, set it aside. You will be amazed. You will be amazed how God blesses our obedience in that area. I could give you lots of scriptures um, with the spiritual treasure that you would be storing up. But we've talked about that the last few weeks. Um, I'm not going to really go over the tithe again, but I do want to encourage us. I believe the old covenant is superseded by the new covenant. We as new covenant Christians are blessed so far beyond what those old covenant believers ever experienced. So far beyond. I mean, what a Jew under the old covenant had to be thankful for does not hold a candle to what you and I have to be thankful for. We have been set free of sin. We have been set free of all of the condemnation, the guilt and shame that goes with it. We have been set free of the punishment that would accompany sin. Our sins have been forgiven. He died for us. Wow. We have got so much more to be thankful for. And if in the Old Covenant, God thought 10% was a good proportional way of giving... What should it be under the new covenant? It's all His under the new covenant. We need to pray maybe and ask Him, Lord, thank You for all of this money. How much do You want me to keep so I can give You the rest? Sacrificially, proportionately, responsibly. So I'm not going to beat the tithe to death this morning. Why do the church... And some people will disagree with me on this, but I believe in Malachi when it talks about the tithe, there's a reference to bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And then God says, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I personally believe, we believe, that the storehouse is a picture for us of the church. Some people disagree. But I believe this is the place where we go to worship corporately. This is the place that God has chosen the church to kind of be his hands and feet, even as it's us being his hands and feet. I believe it's one of the primary places most of us go to fellowship and to get fed. I believe we are a type or picture of that storehouse. That's why I believe it's important you understand who and what the church you attend is all about. What do they believe? What do they do with what they say they believe? Are they good stewards? Are they into advancing the kingdom? Are they handling that money and my finances responsibly? We need to know those things. Check those things out. Don't take it at face value. Check it out. We invite you to check us out. See where it goes. You can come to any elders meeting you can stand to sit through. (laughs) I know you all love meetings, right? You can get our monthly profit loss statement anytime you want. You can get our yearly budget anytime you want. We're just trying to save you money by not printing paper every week or every month. But just ask us. 
We want to be transparent. We want to be vulnerable in that way, completely, before all of you. So I want to challenge you to start making a commitment if you haven't made one, and many of you had. We have got a generous church. The visiting pastors or visiting ministries that we have in here, when they walk away with the offerings that you guys give them, they are blessed and they say almost without exception, wow, you have generous people. And I say, amen, we sure do. But a lot of us, we're still learning this generosity thing. For a lot of us, you know, when I grew up in the church I grew up with, it took everything I had to put $5 in the offering plate. Some of you are coming from those backgrounds, and I get it. That's why we want to just encourage you and and remind you and challenge you to make some sort of commitment to give faithfully and to give regularly. If 10% seems too overwhelming, start at 5%. And if that scares you to death, start at 3%. But start developing a habit of generosity. God will reward you and bless you. Spiritually and provisionally, practically, He will meet our needs. God honors those who give to his cause to increase his work and cause it to go forward. And bottom line is this, back to the very first slide that we put up. This generosity revolution that we want to be part of that's so contrary to our selfish, selfish culture emanates out of love. Love for God. Love for the Lord. Love for what he's done. And then we get to be conduits of that love through giving of our time, our talents, our finances. That's what we want to see. That's the kind of church we want to be. And that's why we felt, I felt it was so important to just kind of throw this out here for you this morning. Again, visitors, hopefully you know who we are a little better. But it's a blessing that you can take corporately as a church, individually as believers. Let's close. close. Ernie, go ahead. Amen. Amen. We have websites. They cost money too. Check us out. Touch of the Master's hand. VCCBalletin.org. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I do thank you for the abundance that you have blessed us with as a church. God, we thank you for the facilities. We thank you for the, the materials. We thank you for the volunteers. We thank you for all that you've blessed us with. God, we pray that you would guide and direct us by your Holy Spirit to be great stewards of all that you give, that we would advance the kingdom in southwest Minnesota. God, that we would, we would be a church, a body of believers that continually wants to be gaining ground for your kingdom. Lord, I pray that, that each one of us here, God, I pray that each one of us here hears your heart in the area of generosity, the area of giving. Lord, that we would not allow ourselves to be put under condemnation, but that we would have generous hearts in every way. And Lord, we pray that as we are that people, you would be greatly blessed. In Jesus' name, amen.